everyone, and welcome back to Murder in the North. I'm Kelby. And I'm Zach. And before we get into the episode this week, we just want to say a big thank you again to everyone who's taking the time to listen. Zach and I really enjoy looking at the analytics to see where everyone's listening from. I know it may sound repetitive, but we truly are grateful to be able to do this and to also see everyone listening around the world. Also, if you're not already following us, we do have an Instagram and TikTok. Both of them are at Murder in the North podcast. Um, and you can follow us there. We kind of do sneak peeks of our episodes and post a little bit more information. Also on our Instagram, if you have a certain case you'd like us to cover, we do have a case suggestion file. And that can be found on our Instagram, like I mentioned, in our bio. So getting into the sources, we have linsociety.bc.ca, vancouver.citynews.ca, Abbey News and youtube.com. I'm not going to say the YouTube video just because uh, similar to my last case, it is going to give it away, Uh, but we will add it into the notes. It was a quiet night in the town of Abbotsford, BC. While evening turning to night, everyone is starting to go to sleep. This is until a nearly unconscious 16-year-old Misty Cockrell stumbles her way into MSA General Hospital, beaten and confused. Right away, nurses are noticing a fracture to her skull that needs to be treated or it will be fatal. On the other side of Abbotsford, Misty's mom is waiting, concerned as it's 5 in the morning and her daughter has been out for a while and it's way past her curfew at this point. Thinking of the worst, she receives a call that every mother and father would dread to get. The person on the other side of the phone is asking Misty's mother, Janet, if her daughter's name is Misty. Janet feels the color leaving her face as she answers yes. The person then tells her that she needs to get to the hospital ASAP as her daughter has been badly beaten with a baseball bat. The doctors were able to determine that she had been unconscious for about 4 hours as her body temperatures were so low to the point she was hypothermic. This was on top of the injuries she already had, which would become a broken arm, a compound fracture to her skull, bruising, and swelling of the brain. Oh my god. You know what a compound fracture is? No, I actually was about to ask. So a compound fracture is when essentially bone is either being exposed or pressing right up against the skin. Oh. I'm sorry, I should have given a little trigger warning there. While she is surrounded by nurses and doctors, she's still in and out of consciousness. And she would actually start to mention that her friend uh, Tanya Smith is missing. Tanya and Misty were inseparable. Janet describes her them as kind of those friends that did everything together. It was as if like whenever Misty's family did anything, Tanya was right there with them. Like that, it was that kind of friendship. They were like best friends. Exactly. As Misty's fighting for her life, the night turns into morning. And around comes 7 a.m. And in B.C.'s lower mainland, fishermen are crowding around Vetter Canal until they discover a naked girl lying in the water. When they get close, they notice that she's dead. Due to where the body was found, it would actually make it a joint uh, case between Abbotsford Police and Chilliwack Police. And using a photograph, police were able to determine that it was 16-year-old Tanya Smith. (sighs) This is when police began to section off the area to the public, and it wasn't long before someone was calling the media, and they knew that it was something big right away, because there was more police there than it would normally be if there was just a body found. Also, the caution tape was a lot further back, 
as well. So this was kind of a red flag to like the media and some of the public that kind of know the area well, just because they're kind of wondering, like, why is it pushed so far back? Right. This is when police are actually beginning to look for a lot more evidence. And this is when they actually believe that it wasn't a mistake and it was actually a premeditated killing. Tanny's body was found naked, but it didn't take the police long to locate her clothes as they were just tossed on top of a bush as if like he wanted them to be found. Interesting. It was almost like a marker to kind of just say like, look here and to kind of almost like a kind of like a key to look this way and look what I did type of deal. Like almost like they were gloating or something. Exactly. And that's what the police are kind of really starting to think at this point, too. Like, this person wants attention. Right. This is when Abbotsford had a police parked right beside Misty, who's still fighting for her life at this point. Besides protecting Misty, his only other job was to actually sit there and record when she comes in and out of consciousness to try and, like, listen to what she may be saying, to try and piece a story together, to kind of really get an idea of what happened. After they do kind of get a kind of a clue of what happened, this is going to kind of go into the story of kind of leading up to everything. Misty and Tanya actually attended a party the night before in a nearby city, and they actually got a cab back to Misty's house. It was around 12 p.m. Sorry, 12 a.m. So this is actually when they kind of realized they actually one of their friends is having a birthday party. So instead of going inside, they actually just continue to walk to that friend's house to try and kind of just attend the birthday party. And when they were walking, it was about three blocks by their house, uh, by Misty's house, when a man actually jumped out of the hedges and pulled them through into their school parking lot on the other side, and then demands them to get undressed. What the heck? So you said that they were in a cab, but then you said that they were walking. They got to Misty's house. They took a cab to Misty's house, and then they walked to the friend's birthday? Yeah. Okay. Because it, because the party was from the other, like, from another city, they took the, the cab to Misty's house, thinking that they were just going to stop at Misty's house and kind of end the night there. But then they remembered of that other birthday party. Okay. So then they then continue, they walked. and then they walked to there. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Both confused, they look into the man's eyes. The only thing that Misty could think was they're not leaving there alive. And I'm gonna give just a quick trigger warning because it does start to get into uh, a little bit of detail here. This is when the man forces Tanya onto his, her hands and knees and would proceed to rape her. But this is when Misty actually looks over and notices that the bat that he had in his hands originally, he actually put on the ground beside him. Misty runs over, grabs it, and would begin to hit him with the bat. When hitting him, he actually grabbed the bat uh, during one of the hits and they would start to wrestle over the bat, but the man oh. would end up winning. He'd begin to beat Misty. She counted seven times over the head. Misty laying there on the school grounds, staring at her school, wondering if this is going to be the last time that she sees it. She would then pass out hours later, would wake up, but Tanya was nowhere to be found. During the time of Misty's recovery, everyone knew at this point what happened to Tanya, but Misty. Misty was told that she was actually just in another part of the hospital, 
just because they couldn't break the bad news to her while she's still kind of fighting for her life. Right. Because yeah. the chances of her surviving this stats would have just declined completely no i know what you mean they didn't want to tell her the bad news because she's still fighting for her life essentially exactly the saddest thing about all this is during this whenever misty would get like two flower like a bouquet two bouquets of flowers she would send one of them to tanya because thinking she was there she was still there oh heartbreaking Police would actually send in a sketch artist to try and get an idea of what this man looked like. The man that Misty saw had a slim face, thinning hair, and a droopy mustache. We'll actually put the sketch, uh, if we can find the picture, we'll actually put it up on our Instagram. Police are to get a tip line set up when they actually receive a call, and it's a little out of the ordinary. The man on the other side of the phone would tell the police that he was actually the one who drove Misty to the hospital. But at this point, the police thought she had walked herself. So I kind of looked at where some of the nearest schools are compared to MSA General Hospital. The closest school would have taken 15-minute walk, but a three-minute car ride. The police would try to work with the man to try and kind of bring him in so they can get some information. But he was pretty hesitant and would later just hang up on the police, giving Mm -hmm. them no extra leads except for the fact that she possibly had been driven. But they start to think that this may be the man that did this to them. That's what I was going to say. That seemed really suspicious. The fact that they were so willing to provide information but wouldn't go into the hospital. Exactly. I wonder why they would have called. It's Yeah, and it's a little weird that they kind of would. A week later, when Misty's making a recovery, is when they finally break the news that Tanya had actually passed. And this was actually on the day of her funeral. One of the things that Misty would have actually would actually say is, I didn't save her. That is so sad. You know, I, I think. Especially being like a 16 year old and like how close you and your best friend get when you're 16, like hearing this news. Well, there's very much survivor guilt that happens, right? 100%. Why me? Like, why was it not me? You yeah. know what I mean? Why was it them? I could have done more. Yeah. And unfortunately, in most cases, like, there's nothing you can do. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to, like, take on that blame. And mm-hmm. I, I can't even imagine, yeah. No, me neither. I can't even imagine the conversation that Misty's mom had to give her, breaking the news that her best friend didn't make it. Right. I know when I become a parent, like, I don't know. I know we're going to have to have eventually some hard conversations with our kids, but... I could never prepare for a conversation like this and it would definitely be heartbreaking for sure. But I mean, also reflecting the fact that she tried to grab the bat to hit the person. Yeah. That also takes a lot of courage. Oh, like I, in that situation, I don't know if I could. Seriously. It's easy to say, yeah, I would do this. I would do this. I would do this. But when you're in the situation, situation, it's completely different. Seriously. So with Tanya's funeral actually taking place as the conversation's happening, police are actually parked outside of the funeral home looking for anyone who looks as if they might match the sketch. But as we probably could have guessed, this would have been a lot shorter of a podcast if they found them. Later in the night, police would receive a call on a tip line that would chill them. The man on the other side of the phone begins to talk about the attack in deep detail 
into detail that wasn't actually even released because he would actually talk about a bite mark that Tanya actually had on her. And I'm actually going to pause this quick because I'm actually going to play that recording. Just to let you know who I am, Tanya's right tasted really good. So after that call was made, they were actually tracking the call. And they would actually track the call to a payphone that's outside of their local arena. So police went right over. I was just going to ask if they were able to track it. Yeah, so they were able to track it. But as you could probably guess... No one was there. There's no answer. There's nobody there. So the first thing that they start to do, fingerprints. They start looking for any fingerprints that could turn up. And as you could probably guess, there was nothing. And this would actually kind of lead into later in the night. 911 would actually receive a call at this point. And I'll play that clip here for you now. I'm the one giving you the chance to try and find me. I'll be cruising around looking for someone else. Oh my god, that like just gave me chills. Right? I like I really enjoy listening to like audio clips like that, but at the same time, they scare me, honestly. Seriously. <laughs> they, and yeah. especially in like one like that where like he is obviously taunting the police. Yeah, I'm gonna go look for someone else or I'm gonna be looking for someone else. Like Yeah. Come on. So this one they were actually able to track it to an abandoned phone booth this time. That's near a grocery store. But as you can guess, nothing came out of it. It's almost like he's one step ahead. Like yeah. he knows police are going to be there. It's like, it's, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe it's not his first murder, right? Maybe he's done this before and this is just the first one that they've kind yeah. of investigated more so. In the big, like the one thing when I'm kind of like going through and researching this case, the one thing that I kept kind of thinking of is... He almost knows how long it takes for it to be tracked for him to end that call and get out of there. Right. Like he's giving himself enough time to be gone. Exactly. Now, my next question is, are there cameras? No, unfortunately not. You probably would have mentioned it if there was, uh, but I'm just like, yeah, well, maybe. That Because like, like, that was like the first thing I was thinking of, too. If it's outside the arena, you'd mm-hmm. think there'd be cameras, but maybe with the positioning of the telephone pole. Yeah, and it was early 90s, like kind of late to mid 90s, actually, at this point. So I think okay. it was still kind of during an era where they were available, but it not was everyone still, had them. Exactly. And yeah. the quality... Would not be as good as it is. It's like all now. the qualities that you get a Bigfoot. <laughs> right. On October 20th, the police would release the sketch to the public because at this point they had the sketch, but they didn't actually kind of release it yet. And they would actually get dozens of sightings of him, uh, reports of sightings at least. Police's biggest fear up to this point is that he was going to find another victim, like he had already said. And things go silent until Halloween. October 31st was, a, was the rumored day that the next attack was going to take place. This is when the man calls 911 again. And the call would be traced to a local pub. Nine police officers rushed over to the pub. But just like the other times, nothing to be found. So, sorry, how long did it take between Halloween and that last time? Like, Between Halloween and the last call? Yeah, sorry, call? When, when did the last call come in? 
So they don't really specify on the exact days that these calls came in. Like a um, few months ago, though? No, it's it like would have been within the same month because the attack okay. happened on October 16th. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't exactly like they kind of specified the days that it happened. But in between the day that the attempted murder of Misty happened and the murder of Tanya happened, it was about 15 days up until this point. Okay. So, and this would actually grow a lot of frustration in the station. This man is giving them so many opportunities, but they are coming up short every time at this up to this point. This is now when police kind of come up with an, the only real thing that they can do and release the only evidence that they have to the public. And these are these being those phone calls. This would scare the city. As up to this point, they didn't even know that they had con- like contact with them. They didn't even know what they were saying. And as you can guess, hearing the voice, thinking, do I know this voice? Have I heard it before? The scariest part was that the police had released the tape saying that he's going to be cruising around looking for someone else. And in my opinion, I would have released the other tape. I wouldn't have released that one. Because as you like, that would have just caused panic throughout the city. Yeah, I agree. But at the same time, if that's the only evidence they have, maybe they thought it would do, I guess, more good than harm. Hoping that someone could potentially identify either like the voice or, yeah. or even see him like driving around type of thing and match him to the sketch. And even possibly like the uh, like maybe even the first one, I guess, may not even have been long enough to kind of get a good idea of the voice. Mm-hmm. I guess yeah. that was the first one. He may have actually shown emotion in it. Right. And I guess, too, if that's the only thing they have, right? Yeah, I guess they kind of do. This would actually cause a dark time for Abbotsford, as this man is taunting the police. People started getting escorted to their cars by security. You wouldn't see somebody walking alone. And down to this point, the police told women to actually walk in groups and keep their kids off the street in fear that he would he would act again on his threats. The police are finally starting to get through to known criminals in the area, but a lot of them are ruled out because their DNA just didn't match. At this point, Misty's starting to make a good recovery and was allowed to leave the hospital, but she couldn't go back to her normal life. The man that was the man that attacked her is still out there. He can't come back for her and finish, unfortunately, what he started. So this is when they actually put her and her family into witness protection. That's the, good. Yeah. And I was happy when I heard that because unfortunately there are cases where they get out of the hospital and they come back the for them. Comes back. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that would probably give her a little bit more peace of mind. Yeah. Obviously what she's going through is unimaginable, but at least kind of knowing she's being protected, I would hope would provide some sense of security. Mm-hmm. And this is, I was actually pretty happy with everything of how the police treated this case because, like, it really did, like, show how much they were, they were generally trying. Mm -hmm. The one thing that I actually kind of did see is actually they talked to the Chilliwack police because it was that joint operation. And he, when they actually found Tanya's body, they actually, he would actually say to, like, his man, like, the men, like, that what you guys have been doing this whole time was training for this case. Like knowing it was going to be 
like one of those cases, the cases that you would have yeah, like you would remember as a police officer. Oh yeah. And even just like putting myself into the shoes of a police officer, like imagine going through this, right? Seriously. Having the pressure of like trying to find the person and like just oh yeah, I can't even imagine. And that's <laughs> even like the last case that I did. Like they weren't leaving the station for th- like up to three days at times. Mm-hmm. Because like they wanted to find him. Yeah, every second counts, right? Yeah. So this is actually when the police would bring in a new sketch artist just to try and update the sketch that they have already had in hopes that something may have kind of tweaked just a little bit to kind of really spark kind of almost like a thought in someone's head as if they knew him. This would actually bring in hundreds of tips and actually one really good lead. The person would be identified to have actually sexually assaulted three people. And one of them was actually coming forward on the phone call that they had made to the police. The man would provide everything to the police. The only thing he didn't provide was a lie detector test. And he would actually spend two months in prison. But he was actually released because his DNA didn't match. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I know I, I could understand why maybe they didn't want to do a lie detector because as we've learned, they're not always or um they're not, they're not always, always accurate. accurate yeah they're like 99 percent i think something like that something but there's still a chance that around. it could be inaccurate and i feel like if that was me i would be scared too right because it's all about your nerves and like, exactly so yeah and like if you're nervous and you're telling the truth it, i'm pretty sure it can actually say that you're telling oh for a sure lie. so like it could just work against you in that case this is actually when They go three months with no contact from the man and still no evidence to help them. So this is actually when the police come up with a little like a way to challenge the caller's ego to see because at this point he's calling saying, I did this. I will do it again. So they actually got in contact with the news, like with a reporter to release an article from a psychiatrist to report pretty much just saying that. It's done. We won't hear from him again. And it didn't take long to hear from him again. There would be a call to go into a local radio store, uh, radio show called Radio Max. The only thing the man said, check the Max car in the parking lot and then hung up. Oh, geez. That's eerie. Yeah. So like just for any listeners that don't might know, might not know what the Max car is, just like kind of referencing to the local news like car that they have being like the max car so the radio host rushes out because he didn't know who had just called him when he gets out there he sees something on the top of the car he gets a little closer sees something big and gray and then he realizes what it is it was tanya smith's headstone oh my god It was pulled out of the ground the night before. Did anyone see this person do that? No reports. Police rush over right away. And there was actually markings over her her picture on the headstone. So from what I was able to kind of make out of some of them, one of them, I've got three different ones here. One of them, I'm still looking. You won't find me. And finally... She wasn't the first. She won't be the last. What the heck is wrong with people? Seriously. This person is so 
unwell. And like, what kind of sick person does something like this to first take their life and do literally what is the most disrespectful thing that you can do to somebody that has passed? First, like defacing their tombstone, but then taking it out of the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Just because they're trying to like, oh my gosh, I can't even. And the one thing I didn't even actually think of until now is I don't know if they would have been able to put that back in the ground because they might have to hold on to it as evidence. Yeah. Fingerprints and... To check for yeah. fingerprints or anything. And imagine how the family and how Misty would be feeling during this time. Seriously. That's just like a big like F you to the cops, right? Like Yeah. You said that I was gone. I'm still here. This I, guess is, they, I guess their little experiment worked then. Seriously. A little too well, I'd say. Yeah. This is a thing that caused a lot of disturbance throughout the city. This is someone who lived amongst them. Someone who was blending in, in very well, I might add. They have no idea when or if there's going to be another victim or even who it might even be. I can see why it caused a lot of chaos. You don't feel safe for you or your family. And some of the Abbotsford residents thought of moving. Rightfully so. Yeah, like just imagine living in that town at that time. Mm -hmm. Just fear, like living in fear. fear. Who's going to be next? Is it someone I know? Am am I going to be next? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And the fact that this person is blending in so well, right? It could literally be your next door neighbor. Seriously. This wouldn't be the last time that the police would hear from him. In fact, two days after the headstone incident, they received another call to 911. So just for any of these listeners that couldn't really understand kind of what was being said, um, he kept kind of repeating himself going, how did you like the present that I gave you guys? Uh, Referring back to the headstone on the car. That's just messed. Yeah. Like, Like this was the one call for me that like when I heard it, I was like, I need to take a break. Yeah. This guy's ego is through the roof. Seriously. Yeah. He just needs the attention mm -hmm. on him. And yet again, he actually, this call would be traced to a stadium only two blocks away from the police station. Eleven cruisers went over to the stadium and would spend the next hour and a half combing through the area looking for anything and everything that can help them at this point. Police would actually notice a jogger and talk to them. They missed him by seconds. Which, it might be a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they could have been the next victim. Could have yeah. been, they could have witnessed him, absolutely, but they also could have been his next victim. In, like, that jogger, like, the fact that, like, they probably, like, because it was a stadium, so, like, almost like a football stadium that normally has, like, a track around it. So, that jogger, from my understanding, was probably running around the track when and then happened? just saw the car leave, like, police pull up yeah did they get a description of the car i don't believe so well it's hard to when like you don't really know you're like 
you should be looking for that, right? Yeah. Because you see cars all the time. You don't really remember what they Seriously, look like. Exactly. So how would you think that the situation was any different? And like throughout kind of the video that I watched, they actually interviewed one a um like a freelance photographer that was actually kind of that was working in Abbotsford during this, and she was because they knew the calls were coming from pay phones. She was driving around Abbotsford, and she said whenever she saw a male at a phone booth. She's like, I looked at him differently mm-hmm. because you genuinely just don't know. If Especially since they're blending in. Exactly. It could, like, like I said, literally be anyone. That's it. And so this everything kind of goes quiet for another two days until a young mother hears glass shattering in her living room. She'd go downstairs and notice that a wrench was thrown her went through her window and something was actually taped to it. She noticed it was a letter and would actually call the police. The letter would go into detail about everything, including three additional sexual assaults. They were able to confirm that they did take place as they had been investigating them. The police started to investigate the wrench, pretty much had nothing unfortunately on it, and then they actually looked into the tape and they would actually notice a distinct fingerprint on the very end of the tape. So, sorry to clarify, was this just some random person's house? Just some random person's house. He's okay. Like, he just chose a house at random. And so, in kind of with that tape, you know when you're, like, you're getting tape, you have to grab the sticky side? Right. That's, that's what it was. It was like when he grabbed the start of it and was taking it off. And they so this fingerprint was actually very distinct because it almost looked like there was like a check mark or like like a hockey stick figure in the very middle of it. Like if you do you kind of know what I mean? Yeah, I'm just trying to like picture that in my head. Yeah, I'll see if I can find a picture of it and kind of put it up on her Instagram as well. But this actually adds to the ways that they can identify this killer. They have DNA. They have a fingerprint and a bite mark. The only thing that they don't have at this point is the killer. And they searched through national databases for this fingerprint. But as you can guess, it isn't that easy and nothing would turn up. This is when they didn't hear from him for another month. And now they're starting to doubt if they're even going to solve this case. The police would set up a 1-800 number that you could listen to the voice recordings and it was pretty much just the recordings playing on loop but this time they actually had the audio recordings enhanced so it you could it was a little clear just because as we could kind of heard there it was it was a little muffled and kind of hard to hear this is when a lady andre teague would listen to the recordings and very similar to some other people you they knew the voice but they just couldn't put a finger on it And then it comes to her. It was her son. Oh my gosh. So then she contacts family members. Listen to this. And they confirm. That's him. The son being Terry Driver. Terry Driver was a father with two kids. And he actually worked as a princeman at Abbotsford Printing. So he had a job. He was blending in. I'm just like imagining 
the mom listening and not recognizing her son's voice at first. Like, whose is this? But then... That's, like, sometimes, like, it kind of takes a minute because... Yeah. If I heard somebody, like, if I heard my dad's voice be like, oh, that sounds very familiar. Like, but I can't, I can't put a picture to the, like, I can't put a face to the voice. Right, yeah. But then, like, seeing or, or listening and, like, verifying that it's her son. I couldn't imagine the feeling, like, her stomach must have just dropped. Mm-hmm. So this is when police actually would sit outside of his house, wait for him to get home. He would get home from his job at at Abbotsford Printing, and they would approach him to say that somebody had called it in. They didn't want to say it was his mom just because if he wasn't it, like the person, then they didn't want to kind of cause that stuff in the family. Yeah, no, that, that's good for the police not to say that, yeah. So they kind of, they go up to him and say, you've been called in, we would like you to do a DNA finger swab or lie detector test. And he refused them. He said no. So this is actually when the detective, Kevin McLeod, had actually would actually tell him, if you're not guilty, go down to the station and cooperate. But if you're if you're guilty, don't do it, but we'll get you. Could you imagine just a police officer staring you in the eye saying that? Yeah. With a stone cold face, I might add. Well, I feel like at this point they've they've done so much. At this point, they're just like spitting facts. Like, you yeah, know, either cooperate or don't. But like, we're gonna put you in jail either way. Yeah. So Terry would call his boss and actually just look for advice because he's wondering, like, what do I do here? His boss would say, "Well, if you're not guilty, then go." And he would actually talk to his lawyer. And they would come up with a way to go there to the police. They would say that we'll go down there, but we'll give you finger the fingerprint. If it isn't his, if it doesn't match, you destroy it. And I'm going to add just a quick thing here. Up to this point, nobody else knew that the fingerprint was found. Oh, guilty. Guilty, yeah. So, so how would they know? Right. How would they know that there was a fingerprint? And that's, so what I'm thinking here is, like, at this point when I was doing the research, I'm like, he's saying a fingerprint because he thinks they don't have anything to fingerprint. Because right. he thinks that he was, he was clean. Like, he did everything great. Everything with a glove. Everything he could do. Little does he know. Tape will bite you. (laughs) So he goes the next morning. He goes down there with his lawyer. And they go into the investigate into the interrogation room. And he starts giving fingerprints. And on the other side of the two way of the two way window, there was actually a, a forensics officer that was in there just waiting for the fingerprints to come in. They would finally come in, and as soon as the forensics officer saw the fingerprint, he described it as winning the lottery. Oh, so it was him. And they arrested Terry Driver on the spot. Good. Now it's the hard part of the case, convicting him, because they had a lot of 
stuff to kind of point towards him. But a lot of it was hard. At that point, to kind of get him arrested, they had his fingerprint. But when you go into the system, you have to give a DNA swab. So they would actually later actually get the DNA as well to further confirm. I was going to ask, could they get Misty to like look at him and... We'll get there. Okay. And one of the hardest parts about it, Terry Driver had, was a family man. And most importantly, he was the son of a decorated officer. No way. Yeah. But maybe that's why he was so smart in the sense like he kind of knew what to do. Like he, yeah, he knew what to do. He knew what to look for. It's, it's crazy to think. And they interviewed some people that knew him. And they didn't think he would ever do something like this. He could even do that. That boss that he called for like for help. His that boss, his daughter, babysat for them. Oh wow, that's scary. Yeah. But again, it's the people you would least expect, right? They said that he was blending in. Exactly. If it was someone that they would suspect, then he they would have been arrested already. The boss's first impression when he found out that he was convicted of it, had the, you have the wrong guy. But September of 1996 is when the trial would begin. And at this point, police had a pretty good feeling. They had DNA and a fingerprint and to add on to it, a bite mark. I feel like something bad's going to happen. Psychiatrists would talk about Terry during the trial as an introvert, but someone who needed attention and suffers from obsessive compulsive disorder and a control uncontrollable lust. I think me and all the listeners think this sounds exactly like him. Like, you need the attention. Yeah, I think that was displayed throughout the case. I think how he, how uh, big his ego was. <laughs> yeah, I think he put it, out, put it out there pretty good. Loud and clear. <laughs> and the one thing that, like, for, those, for the police to go out on a limb and put that report out that we're not going to hear from him anymore, the fact that he bought it and he just had to let his ego get the best of him. it was bait and he took it exactly yeah terry would go on to say that he would have a thought and just act on it and with him even saying this he would plead not guilty as he says someone else had attacked those girls but he just stumbled upon them unconsciously which as we know still doesn't look good for him because when misty woke up Tanya wasn't there anymore. Yeah. He admits to raping them, but says that he wasn't the one who killed them. Then why would he admit to that? Seriously. And why would he not call police? Exactly. Then again, all the things that had taken place after the rape and murder becomes very hard to explain at this point. Mm -hmm. How do you explain that? The one that's sitting with me the most is the, the tombstone. That's the one with for me too, because yeah, that's a that's a hard one to kind of blatant disrespect. Exactly. Phone records would later show that Terry was one of the first people that actually called the media to find Tanya's body. Of Remember? course, he was at the beginning. Yeah, when yeah. you said, because I was kind of in my head like, why would they call the media? Like, I just because he wanted the attention. He wanted the attention. Like, that makes so much more sense. And. 
he actually was at Tanya's funeral. He really? just didn't. So the sketch actually wasn't to him. There was similar features, but not enough to look at him and go him. So when the police were outside of Tanya's funeral, they were recording it. On record. Oh my god. Like that's just... Uh... Yeah. During the trial, Misty was called on to the stand. Personally, I have to give her credit. I do I don't think I could go up on the stand and face my attacker. Yeah. That that would take a lot of courage. And when they asked who attacked you, he pointed right at him. Good. Stared back. Great. Oh my showing, ego. Showing no remorse. So and the best part about all that, with him grinning back at her, just stared him down. And Misty's mom even said she didn't let it get to her. Just stared right Good. back at him. I'm, hope, I'm hoping that they maybe picked up on the grin, too, and was like, yeah. Yeah. Terry would be charged with the murder of Tanya Smith and the attempted murder of Misty Cockrell. He would later be sentenced to life in prison with no possibility of parole for 25 years because he got noticed as a dangerous person. Yeah. We were talking about yeah. this in the last case. If you didn't listen on the last week's case that I covered, it spoke about the Dangerous Offender Act. If you want to hear more about it, go listen. So from what I could find, he would actually later spend his time at Mountain Institution, but I later saw another article that stated that they didn't know where he was so i don't know how accurate that was in 2001 he would appeal the life sentence but was unsuccessful and in february of 2021 he would go under a psychiatric assessment and it would determine that he was a very high risk for violence and sexual recidivism sorry if i pronounced that wrong this just meaning that he would likely be become a repeat offender yeah, I think that's pretty evident, too. Yeah. From his ego and the things he was saying. And in August, on August 23rd, 2021, Gary Driver would die of natural causes. Really? So he, yeah, he so he passed this past August. It says natural causes, but did it say, like, what happened? No. No, okay. no everything just said natural, natural causes. causes, which is unfortunately pretty broad. Mm-hmm. Misty is now a mom to a daughter and named it after somebody who actually made a huge impact on her life. Tanya. Yeah. Oh. That was kind of like the tearjerker for me. Yeah. So it's, it's beautiful that she did that. A lot of Misty's advocacy is focused on speaking to people that are trained to become a police officer or a victim service worker when, so she can talk to them about her experiences, the good and the bad. She talks to try to show the story of the victims because actually in their case, one thing I didn't want to mention was at first, some of the people were blaming them. The clothes that they wore, the fact that they were out at night. You oh cannot blame somebody for what they wore. Terry is the only person to blame. One thing that teens do to express themselves is in the, some of the things that they wear. Because a woman is wearing something that's showing a little bit more skin, 
does not mean that she is asking for it. And it surprises me that we still have to have this conversation. We understand that a lot of these cases can be hard, but the one thing that we want to let everyone know is that you do have a voice. Please don't stay silent if anything similar to this has taken place. And similar to last week, we are going to put more phone numbers in our description. If there is anything, please reach out to them. But please stay safe, and we'll see you guys again next Tuesday.